Hello, hello, guys. I hope you'll enjoy this episode. It was one of the hardest podcasts I've ever had to record because for the first time, my baby didn't sleep through recording. And I guess there had to come a time where he transitioned from a curled up, sleepy newborn to a more alert and interactive infant. I just didn't expect that he'd want to make that statement while we were recording. (laughs) I mean, it's great fun otherwise, but just not so great for recording purposes. So yeah, this episode has taken quite a bit of editing. Some baby noises were not removable though, since someone was saying something important at the time. So I do hope you'll excuse the extra unexpected panelist. (laughs) It was pretty stressful, let me tell you. I've never had to record a serious political conversation under those conditions. I mean, He really, really put my multitasking skills to the test. I'm amazed I was able to have a somewhat coherent conversation because if only you could have seen me, I was moving around, trying to keep him quiet, rocking him. He, of course, chose that time to poop, puke, burp, and start loudly sucking on his hands. So it was quite the adventure. Anyway, it is what it is. He's got a lot to say, I guess. And uh, I think your brain will be in recovery mode from taking in so many high-level important ideas. (laughs) Ten points to anyone who gets that reference. Okay, moving on from that and on to the actual topic. This discussion is about Quebec's proposed religious symbol ban, Bill 21, that would prohibit public servants in positions of authority from wearing any religious symbols. Any. Of course, the hijab is a major topic of debate in this, and there are so many factors at play here. I'd like you to keep some things in mind while you listen. Firstly, that the conversation you're about to hear is from a non-religious perspective. We have no attachment to religion or desire to give it special accommodations, but still, I hope we were able to treat the topic with some nuance. Secondly, There are two women who have personally experienced state-enforced modesty in this conversation, myself and one of the guests. Also, keep in mind that hijabs are a complicated garment. People experience them in different ways. They're used to oppress women in countries like Iran and Saudi, but here in the West, they seem to have taken on another meaning as well, one of defiance of visible Muslimness in the face of anti-Muslims. And just like you can't generalize and claim everyone wearing the hijab is doing it by force or is oppressed, you also can't whitewash what these garments are rooted in. Oftentimes, I find that in the very noble fight against anti-Muslim bigots in the West, some of my fellow lefties let that pendulum swing too far the other way and sort of champion conservative Islamic modesty garb. Some try to shut down voices of women like my panelists who have personally experienced the oppression of modesty garments for fear of emboldening bigots. And I get the urge, but really, we cannot be throwing women like that under the bus. We have to be able to differentiate between a very valid criticism of a practice coming from personal trauma and experience and that of xenophobes jumping on a topic like this to demonize Muslims. But I also understand that this distinction, unfortunately, becomes harder and harder to spot because of the increasing use of tokenism by the right and the far right. When ex-Muslims or people of Muslim background join hands with anti-Muslims, Muslims in the West, they make these conversations incredibly difficult to have. 
where every instance of criticism is increasingly seen as being compromised by bigots and xenophobes. I guess it's just important to remember what a layered debate this is. Religious symbols have baggage, of course, but they also do not exist in a vacuum where the only thing coloring our perception of them is the religion they come from. Out here in the West, they exist in this political climate, where anti-immigrant sentiment and hate crimes are on the rise, where Muslims are attacked, Jews are attacked, Sikhs are attacked, where synagogues and mosques are attacked, where neo-Nazis are a thing again, where the President of the United States downplays far-right white supremacist terrorism time and time again. It's important to keep all these things in mind when listening to discussions about this proposed bill because it is being proposed in a very complicated political climate. Now, the episode. Make sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects and uh, you're not impolite to people. No, definitely not, Dad. You know me. I'm never, <laughs> ever... Controversial. Or yeah, impolite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Welcome to Conversations with your lovable, never pisses anyone off, ex-Muslim host Ina. Keeping it non-controversial. Welcome to Panel 19. Today I'm joined by Ian Bushfield of BC Humanist Association. I'll just let him do a quick intro. Hi, Ian. Hi, Ina. Great to be on the podcast. Great to have you I'm, on. I'm the executive director of the BC Humanists Association, as you mentioned. I'm not here representing them. I'm giving probably a lot of my own random opinions and thoughts. I'm also not a lawyer, though I'll probably end up talking a lot about the law and legal aspects today. I'm not Quebecois, but we're going to be talking a lot about French Canada, so I'm going to get in trouble for that as well. And you can follow me on Twitter at iBushfield. Awesome. And my second panel guest is Shaparak Shajari. Mm, hello, I'm Shaparak. It's, it's great to, to be in your uh, program. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. Now, Shaparak is an Iranian woman who took part in the white flag protests in Iran and was arrested for removing her hijab. She had to flee from Iran to Turkey and in her absence was sentenced to two years prison and 18 years probation. She's now in Canada and joins us today to discuss Quebec's religious symbol ban, Bill 21, that would prohibit public servants in positions of authority, including teachers, police officers, crown prosecutors, and prison guards from wearing religious symbols. As always, listeners, if you enjoy the show and would like to see it survive and thrive, please consider supporting via Patreon, because without listeners like you, this isn't possible. And please don't mind any baby noises recorded in the episode today, because my three-month-old is also joining us today and will hopefully stay asleep throughout. All right. How are you guys doing? I'm fine. Thank you so much. And first of all, I have to, uh, you have to excuse me for my lack of knowledge in English. Sometimes you have to talk a little bit slow so I can understand. I'm so sorry. I'm not that fluent. Oh, absolutely. Let me know if at any point you need me to say something again. We're just here to talk about this religious symbol ban and, uh, you know, being in your situation uh, and what you've been through, me being a woman who's grown up in Saudi Arabia. Uh, we kind of have experienced what yeah, being forced same. into hijabs is like. Yeah. So this should be an interesting conversation. And then we have... Uh, 
our token white guy, Ian. <laughs> Always glad to represent. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, Shaprak, what are you thinking? How how do you feel about this religious symbol ban? For me, I actually it's it's so complicated. I don't have a solid opinion on this mm-hmm. uh, because uh, for me as a woman who were living under restriction for 40 years, I'm against any kind of pressure on people. Mm-hmm. At the same time, as a woman who were grown up in a Muslim community under the Islamic laws, I know that hijab or or a woman covering herself is a symbol of sexism. I believe that. There are lots of people who say, no, it's a symbol of devotion to God. But when it's come to different sexes uh, doing different things, I, I guess it's, uh, it's just sexism. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, another thing is, you know, in lots of countries, hijab is not, is not forced by the government. Uh, but there are lots of women who are forced to wear hijab because of their community, because of their family, their husband, their, uh, their, their, the, the male figure in their family or, or the society. So they are forced to wear it. And uh, I understand how they feel. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say that I agree with you that it's a very complicated situation and it's not as simple as, um, you know, even a woman growing up under such an oppressive regime who is forced into uh, wearing the headscarf. You still can't say that it's as simple as forbidding people to wear it because it reminds you of that government pressure yeah, sure. on you, right? It reminds yeah, yeah, you of yeah. people forcing you how to dress. So that's at least how I feel. I, I, I wouldn't be in favor of such a ban because the, the government trying to control such a personal and private aspect of who you are, there's like, there's reasonable situations where one can say that a face veil ban uh, might apply, like for airport security, in the courtroom, things like that, when you need to see someone's face. And I'd be all for that because it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For but, me, it's like the same. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. When 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 a woman uh, when when someone covers uh, their face, yeah, it it makes sense. But um, in certain but, situations, but, for me, but, but not in others. But covering your he- covering your hair or other part of your body, it's just a, it's just like uh, your choice. It's 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 a personal choice. And for me, I know that uh, there are lots of women, even in uh, Western country, who, who are forced to wear hijab. I, I really like to help them, mm-hmm. and um, uh, because I know what what does it feel um, not to have a choice. But at the same time, I guess uh, the social services they can they can uh, help women, and they can give information about about hijab and support young girls at the same time. But but forcing them not to have hijab, I don't know. I cannot approve of this kind of force. Yeah. Um, if a grown woman decides to, to have a kind of dressing, it's, it's her choice. We cannot force her uh, not to have that. Uh, at the same time, at the same time, I'm... I, 
I see in the world that uh, the Muslim communities are pushing hijab. I don't understand why they push uh, hijab to the world. Sometimes I tell myself, we have to do something uh, for it. But at the same time, you know, I, I don't have a solid answer. Yeah, it's, it's so complicated. <laughs> it is. I mean, there's a couple of factors at play here, right? Like there are families that force it onto their children, onto their wives, and yeah. there are also women that decide to wear it themselves. So it's yeah. not always a matter of force, even though you can argue that, you know, some people making this choice themselves are conditioned into it from an early age. So you can argue that, but... Yeah. Still having the state pressure you and decide what to wear for you when there's no practical reason, like in terms of seeing your face, that would be different for security reasons in some situations. But when it comes to like every single religious symbol, like a headscarf or a, like a cross necklace or something like that, it just seems, it makes me very uncomfortable. And it actually reminds me of Saudi Arabia in a way. And I also read an article mm -hmm. Ian, let me know if you've seen this article. Mm -hmm. um, the one where they said that you can actually call the police on people who are not following this religious symbol ban. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw that. It reminds yeah. me of the morality police I think you've talked about before that you had to deal with in Saudi. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, I, I, I read that article too. And it was, yeah, for me, it was shocking because... I don't know. It doesn't make sense. It reminded me of uh, people who were cruel enough in my country who uh, who report their friends or their relatives or the one they're not okay with. with. And it, it was like, it's stupid. Yeah. Uh, to tell people you can report other people. Yeah. And it's not, it's not good for the society. Yeah, to tell them you can report on other people for for their uh, their own uh, choices. Right. I mean, that, do you think that's going to help free women? Uh, you know, uh, when um, in my country, one of the reason I was angry about it, the 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 main reason was the the government violence against the women every day in the streets with uh, with this tool, force hijab. But the other reason is there are lots of uh, there were uh, there are lots of well-educated women who can't have a big role in society and uh, actually change the society. But because of the because of not having the better hijab like chador that uh, big piece of cloth that covers mm -hmm. all your body, not every Iranian woman are comfortable wearing that piece of cloth. So. So there, there, there are lots of well-educated women who decide not to, uh, not to uh, go uh, work for the government or for the big firms because uh, they can't. They have to wear that kind of hijab. They call it better hijab. And, uh, so they have to wear like a big cloak rather than just a scarf on the head is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, big black and it's, it's usually black. And so lots of women decide not to go for the, those jobs and not to be active in those, uh, I don't know, activities because, of, uh, because they, they know that uh, um, they can't go, uh, get to any points in that jobs. And it's like uh, now it's like the same. The women who 
who who choose to wear hijab with this law, I guess for them it's like um, staying at home. They prefer to stay. I don't think a woman, if a woman decide, um, decides to, ha- to have this religious symbol wearing any kind of um, um, hijab or, I don't know, dress code for their beliefs, uh, I don't think they change their mind because of their job. Most of the time, they will stay at home and it's not yeah. gonna, it's, it's not good for the society and it's not good for uh, those women. Uh, these kind of laws uh, don't free any women, I guess. Uh, That's so um, true. It's just gonna prevent them of being active in the society. Yeah. 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 I think the Quebec government is really trying to pitch this as this bill about religious neutrality and trying to make it a lot broader and saying, oh, no, it's not Muslims, but it's all religions. But it's really only Islam and Sikhism where there is an overt mandated religious symbol, right? The Sikhs have to wear the turban and the kirpan. Some Muslim women wear hijab or niqab, etc. I was looking at the statistics for Quebec today. There's 7.7 million people in the province. Of that, 3% is Muslim. But of that Muslim community, 68% of those people are immigrants. So this bill is really targeting like a small number of people who might be applying for government jobs or might have a government job. And of them, a majority are immigrants. Who are already struggling. Exactly. And one of the better ways to promote empowerment is education and getting good jobs. And government jobs are a good way to sort of become established in the province and integrate with the culture, if that's what you're going for. Mm-hmm. One thing Quebec has actually done really well is promote religious education and not indoctrination, but a sort of learn about other people's religions in classrooms and the public school system. And even private school students have to learn about religions that are different from theirs. And I think that path is a very progressive one that helps build understanding Right, And maybe you realize not everyone wears hijab. That can help break some of those cultural biases that we're worried about without this, you know, strong arm of the state saying, well, you can't get a job if you're going to cling to this or that. Yeah. And I mean, how do they draw those lines, right? Even if it's like a small symbol, like someone's wearing like a little crescent necklace, technically you could call the police on them. It's absurd to me, right? Like, yeah. I'm not a fan of religion, trust me. I'm not a fan of religious symbols and displays of religiosity. But I also don't believe that you can be controlling people in that way. Because it reminds me of religion, unfortunately. Well, Quebec has a very sordid history with religion. For a long time, it was the most Catholic province in the country. Mm -hmm. And most people still say they're Catholic, even though they don't go to church in Quebec. And the Catholic Church and the French state or the Quebec state were so intertwined. They ran the schools, they ran the daycares, they ran the hospitals, and just it was influenced through everything. And that's why you still see a giant cross in the National Assembly in Quebec, which will get removed if this bill passes, because I guess we're holding secularism hostage here. (laughs) But however, that crucifix in the National Assembly, there's been some discussion about that because Uh, Before, I don't think it was going to be removed initially, right? People said uh, things like, here I have a quote from an article in Montreal Gazette. 
Frédéric Bastien, a Quebec historian and political commentator, said most Quebecers see no contradiction in keeping the crucifix in the National Assembly while outlawing religious symbols among some government employees. The crucifix is symbolic, Bastien said. It's not like a police officer who would be wearing a kippah or a turban or a Muslim veil, a person who is exercising some authority and is arresting you. And to me, I mean, that's really obnoxious that it's in a government building this giant crucifix and they're saying that there's no contradiction it's not like a a police officer that would be wearing like a turban or something and I'm like, yeah i've seen some historians or sociologists describe it as like catholicite or catho secularism like right it's right secularism but with catholicism being privileged above it yeah yeah and so explain the term laicity so secularism is kind of ha has two versions. The English version that I think most Canadians or your listeners will be familiar with, which is just the separation of church and state, and everyone can have their own religious belief, and we can debate those in public. The laïcité, the, or laïcité, as the French or Québécois are calling it, is a more expunge religion from all public life. You keep that at home. Don't talk about that mm -hmm. in public the government should be visibly neutral, kind of a gray authoritarian. As Yet have a crucifix a hanging <laughs> up in their building. Well, that's the Catholicism. Right. Impinged on it. <laughs> I know. If you, go, if you visit Quebec, though, you'll see, even in Montreal, there's a giant neon cross as a piece of public arts sitting on one of the hills there. Yeah, I think I've seen that. I think most of the streets are still named after various Catholic saints. Mm-hmm. And even the yeah. Fleur de Lis, I recently learned, that's on their flag, mm -hmm. uh, represents Jesus or the Trinity in some oh, way. Oh, really? Yeah. So, yeah. I learned that from Indy, who's writing a series for Canadian Atheists, the blog, mm -hmm. on the whole religious symbols ban and all the reason he thinks it's bad and unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, there's kind of a divide in the atheist community as well, right? Um, yes. Where there are some people that are so, like, you know, there's a lot of ex-Muslims that are like, yes, you know, I was oppressed with the headscarf, so now is my time. I've got, uh, you know, people on my side, and I want that kind of control. I want to see people not have the choice to wear it because I didn't like it when I was forced to wear it. And then there's people that are like, well, no, forcing people is not a good way to go about this. So those yeah. divides are interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You see it a lot, I think, around the lines you're talking about around how antithetical you are to religion versus if you try and use, say, a basis of humanism or fundamental rights or even freedom of expression, you kind of have to respect that people might think different things than you and have the right to express those. And you might not like it. It's ironic, though, right? Because the people who are, at least that I see on Twitter, who are most in favor of this ban also tend to be those everything is a attack on free speech type. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, you yeah. know, respect uh, far riders and Nazis with different opinions, but do not respect if someone wants to wear like a cross necklace or a turban on their head or a hijab on their head. It's interesting how that works. Yeah. I've, I've had that kind of experience uh, with eight years. <laughs> You've had uh, what, sorry? It, uh, yeah, I have that kind of uh, experience with 
uh, those call themselves Iranian atheists. Uh, oh, they yeah. are the same. Yeah, I was. I had this interview with one of the their channels, and uh, they uh, they asked me about my beliefs and my my religious beliefs, and I told them I'm not. I'm not a religious person. I don't believe in any religion. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they then they asked me, "Are you against uh, Islam?" And the outcome was so bad for me in Twitter because I I said I'm not against uh, anything. Uh, I don't believe in Islam, but I respect the people who want to practice any religion, and uh, it's their choice. Yeah. Uh, um, and but I'm not gonna say anything. Uh, it's for me. I don't practice any religion. Right. But, same. Uh, so, uh, somehow they they attacked me massively uh, because oh, of no. the things I said. Yeah. It's like the same. The, uh, like you said, when it's 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 like when when they see they have the power, they see uh, they they tell. We're gonna use it to uh, to put pressure on religious people or other people. It's the freedom of choice, yeah, and freedom of speech. Yeah, I'm sorry you went through that with uh, atheists because um, you know not all of us atheists are like that. Unfortunately, there are some who um, don't tolerate <laughs> tolerance yeah, for religion. In, in a way, well. I'm a, I'm an I'm an atheist too, in a way. Yeah, but it's. It's it's ironic, but like uh, one year and a half ago when I I got arrested, and during the interrogation, uh, the interrogator wanted uh, wanted me to say I'm an atheist, so he he could condemn me. I don't know, uh, death penalty. <laughs> if wow. I, yeah, no, he was he was he was asking me lots of religious uh, questions that I. I didn't know, or I I had forgotten. Oh, so he was trying to trip you up. Uh, yeah, he was oh. trying. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I had the same experience with these people. And I said, "What are you saying?" The interrogator wanted me to uh, say I'm an atheist, so th- in that case, I could face death in my country. And now that I say I say I'm. I don't b- believe in any religion, and I'm atheist. They wanted to s- tell me that I am against Islam, and I said, no, I'm not against anything. It's a kind of, I don't know, it's a belief. Some people can practice it, and I I respect them. But uh, but at the same time, they, they were, I was attacked very harsh from them. Wow, and it's interesting that you've experienced both sides of this, right? Yeah, like, yeah persecution from like religious morality police types and yeah. also like online edgy atheists who force you to declare you're anti-islam yeah. i've experienced very much the same thing and i'm an atheist as well and i grew up in saudi i've experienced morality police i've seen their canes i wasn't arrested like you thankfully but i think having a loving and progressive Muslim family has helped me to understand that people can practice Islam in different ways, different levels of orthodoxy and just sort of generalizing it as I'm against them all is helping no one. 
and yeah. achieving nothing. Yeah, I'm really sorry to hear about that experience, Chaparak, but I'm, of course, not surprised having heard Ina's stories of similar treatments and experiences on the online community. I was just thinking, though, like Ina points out the obvious fact that Islam means so many different things to so many different Muslims and non-Muslims. And Christianity is kind of the same, except within Christianity, you have the Catholic Church, which is kind of a monolithic, this is what Christians should believe group. And that view of Christianity within the French-speaking world, where Catholicism was dominant, versus like the English-speaking world, Protestantism, and the diversity yeah. of Christian views was more relevant or um, common. I almost am thinking, what effect did that have on the shape of these debates in like England and English-speaking Canada and the U.S. versus France and Quebec, where I think they take this view of religion that it's much more monolithic and singular-minded than in the English world, if that thought makes any sense. I'm kind of just spitballing something here. The approach that Quebec is kind of taking to secularism here is treating Islam as a monolithic, singular evil, you know, it's uh -huh. anti-woman, and therefore it pushes hijab and all these other things, because their main experience with religion is the Catholic Church, okay. which is monolithic. Okay. Right, which has bad. a pope at the head of it, and yeah. a centralized, yeah. That's that's an interesting uh, point of view. I haven't uh, think about why I'm not uh, that expert in Christianity, but uh, maybe maybe that's the reason. And the other thing is for Muslim people, it's like 20 years ago the world wasn't like this, and now you see the 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 Muslim communities at the same time are pushing their. Uh, symbols they're pushing hijab to the uh, to the western community and sometimes i tell myself no wonder we're gonna see these kind of bands because they're they're advertising hijab to the mm -hmm. communities i i don't know and but some of that say, though some of that is in reaction to say like you know in a post 9-11 world right yeah. people felt that yeah. their identity was threatened and so they clung to it and clung to the visible symbols of it. So, like, the number of people yeah. wearing hijab increased after 9-11 in response to the persecution and bigotry that they face. And yeah, as the far right rises in the West over here, as more and more visibly Muslim women are attacked, people tend to double down and become even more orthodox, you know what I mean? If they yeah. feel that their identity is being attacked or if they feel that they are uh, not free to practice how they want. That's why I'm saying that these things forcing people legally will not help. It may even have like an opposite effect where it ignites this passion yeah. in people where they feel like they're these martyrs and they have to have to do this and break the laws and make it this great symbol of rebellion and it'll become this glorious thing. And you can kind of already see that and it makes me cringe like um, in response to Trump, you know, they had these um, US the American flag. Fl yeah, hijabs. the US flag hijab picture that has become this iconic thing. And, uh, you know, it's a very nice drawing and all of that. But as a woman who's had a very different experience with a hijab and a state forced hijab, 
it's a hurtful image for me to look at uh, with that being like equated with freedom because people have so many different experiences with hijab and I don't mean to shit on like the women that have chosen it or who do wear it in defiance and do uh, see it in another way over here but that experience doesn't reflect everyone right and it still has very many hurtful and painful connotations for lots of women who are forced into it in the Middle East, in Iran, you know? So when it's when we see it being glorified in the West, yeah. it is hurtful. And, and I think well, I, that that's something for fellow uh, lefties to consider, for um, even uh, Muslim women who make the choice to wear the hijab, who are progressive. Something that they should keep in mind is that they're the ones with the choice, they're the ones with the privilege, and they're making that choice to continue this tradition which is used to oppress yeah. women in places yeah. like Saudi and Iran. Yeah, and yeah. I think as Shaparak is kind of alluding to, it verges on conspiracy theory, but I don't think it totally is made up or false, but like the Wahhabists in Saudi spend a lot of money and Iran spend a lot of money promoting a very conservative approach to Islam. Oh, it's not a conspiracy the theory at all. Like it, I've seen it happen. Like I'm Pakistani and I have mm. seen it happen. Like how Saudi Arabia has promoted Wahhabism and Pakistan has changed the landscape, has changed the culture, has changed the dress, you know, where more yeah. and more women are wearing face veils. More and more women are covering their hair. When my grandmother was younger, she used to wear like strapless dresses in mm -hmm. public parks. And that is unheard of now. And that's why it's so yeah. frustrating when yeah. governments like Francois Legault's in Quebec bring forward these laws which basically target the victims of these extremist regimes mm -hmm. rather yeah, than... Yeah. Now, I mean, Quebec doesn't have many tools to go after Saudi directly, but... Like, Canada is still selling yeah. light-armored vehicles to Saudi Arabia, as far as I know. I don't know if that's been fully cancelled yet. But the fact we were even considering giving weapons to these people is absurd. Yeah. I'm talking yeah. about the tyrants in charge, not the, you know, average people trying yeah. to live their lives. And so that's why I think that uh, this is a, a nuanced debate and... Uh, extreme positions are not going to help anyone. I even heard of this um, this mayor who is against the religious symbol ban, but he's phrased it in a way where he's compared it to peaceful ethnic cleansing. Jesus. <laughs> and I believe that's Mayor William Steinberg of Hampstead, you know, a suburban Montreal mayor. And uh, basically... It's become this distraction in the debate, right? People are, like, denouncing his comments. The prime minister weighed in and said that, you know, this isn't going to help anyone. And no. I don't know what he's hoping to achieve because it's certainly not helping make a good case against this kind of bill, right? Yeah, Comparing some it to ethnic cleansing is ridiculous, I think. Yeah. yeah. Some people's yeah. nuance is not great. And yeah. in an era where everything seems to be turned up to 11. Slowing down and debating these seems more important. Like, I give a lot of credit to the mayor of Montreal, uh, Valerie Plant, and the people of Montreal seem to be doing a lot of work resisting this in very smart ways. Across the province, I think there's a big divide in Quebec, though, between the urban centers, and you see this, I guess, around 
the world now and the more rural areas. I know Quebec has a very big issue with like far right talk radio outside Quebec City, where they really have been pushing this anti-Islam, anti-Muslim rhetoric for years now. And it looks like it's starting to pay off to the point where some rural mayors and commentators, I think, figure this doesn't go far enough because women can still wear hijab in the street. Yeah. Yeah. And some people want it like uh, want it to be banned on public transport when they're already like immigrants and uh, visibly Muslim women attacked on public transport all the time. I just don't understand who is supposed to be helping. And yeah. um, I believe the premier of Quebec said um, the Quebec government is taking a moderate approach to secularism that does not violate freedom of religion. Um, it's funny he says that latter part because he's insulated his bill from the charter. So he's invoked something called the notwithstanding clause we have here in Canada, which is something a government can do to shield their bill from being sued for breaking certain provisions of our fundamental freedoms. So on the one hand, he's saying, I want to protect everyone's freedoms, but also I'm going to force this on them and I don't want to debate it in court. Mm, yeah. If he really believed yeah. that uh, it wasn't interfering with people's freedom of religion, then he wouldn't feel the need to shield it like that, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. There are some creative lawyers who are pointing out there's another section deeper in the charter that protects the equality of men and women that can't be overruled. And so even though he's trying to block uh, charter challenges to this bill, a lot of lawyers are getting ready to sue the pants off this government, which will be amusing, but again, a distraction from broader social, economic, environmental issues. Mm -hmm. Shaparak has to leave, uh, but thank you so much for joining us today and giving us your first-hand perspective. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. For me, as a woman who were um, under this oppression, and uh, as a woman who, who was active uh, and protested against compulsory hijab and forced hijab, I guess uh, one of the things that we can do and that the society can do is talk about these symbols and give people the knowledge, give women the knowledge. One of the things that uh, the government should do is to protect these women, to protect uh, the women who are under um, oppression from their families or their community, to support them but uh, not put pressure on them. So before you go, though, can you just give me a quick um, response to what made you choose to speak out in Iran? What made you choose to protest in Iran? I was just tired. I was tired of being inactive. I was tired of nagging all the time and uh, seeing violence. You know, for Iranian women, when we want to go out in public, um, there is there is this shadow of fear all the time that someone might come and harass you. Seeing mm -hmm. uh, for for Iranian people, uh, uh, the police officers don't uh, represent um, safety and security. Oh yeah, I know that feeling. They yeah, they represent fear. And whenever you want to go out, it's it's this fear in you. At the same time. You want to be yourself. For me, I, I know myself as a person who has the right to choose what to wear and what to believe. And 
I was just tired of being oppressed and just tired of uh, violence. And when uh, this campaign started White Wednesday, it was like a call. It, it pulled the trigger for me. Now you can be your voice, mm-hmm. just your voice. As a, as a woman, as a person in the world, uh, just say that I'm against this law and um, I'm not obeying it anymore. And you risked a lot, right? Like your pin tweet is something like, I lost my marriage, my town, everything I was attached to, but now I'm free. Yeah, yeah, I lost a lot. I have lost a lot. And I'm a newcomer in Canada. I'm dealing with lots of things and, you know, as an immigrant. But um, at the same time, I, I sometimes I, I, I say, Maybe that wasn't a good idea, but at the same time, when I take a look at back at those uh, uh, moments, I say I didn't have any choice. I couldn't bear it anymore. Mm-hmm. I had to do something. And right now that I'm talking to you, before you, uh, before this interview, I had a call from one of the active women in Iran, and she is in hiding. They are after her. They arrested oh two other gosh. women and. They, they are after her and she's in hiding. And you know what's my situation. My friends are in danger in Iran, but they keep fighting. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope that you continue to be an inspiration and that Thank your friends you. can Thank get out so there much. safely. Thank you so much for speaking up, for using your voice and spreading awareness about the suffering that women face. Um, best of luck to you and let me know if I can be of any help in getting your story or other people's stories out there yeah sure sure thank you it was was an honor Uh, it was an honor for me too Uh, have a good day (laughs) you too thank you thank you you. take care keep fighting the good fight so yeah it was really interesting to speak with uh Shaparak, who's been through that and uh, still doesn't take the absolute position of wanting government to ban these things, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, CBC ran an interesting piece on sort of ex-Muslim voices, quote-unquote, on the religious symbols bill. And a couple were, like she described, you know, virulently against it because of everything we talked about. And she kind of came in there with... Virulently for the bill, you mean? Or? Yeah, sorry. Uh, against religious symbols, I guess. Yeah. And then she she had a quote in there that was a bit more nuanced, and that's where I thought she would be interesting to talk to, and especially her experience having fought the hijab so personally. Imagine being arrested for it and fleeing the country and getting a prison sentence in your absence and losing everything. It's just... Amazing the kinds of suffering people endure and then the loss they're willing to risk to get away from it and still manage to hold nuanced positions, unlike some of the, you know, ex-Muslims that we've come across in the atheist scene online. Uh, people are <laughs> going to think that I knew about her having negative experiences with the atheist scene online, but I actually, that came as a surprise to me. Mm-hmm. Because, um, yeah, we I hadn't talked to her about any of that before, just about her hijab experience. And so it's interesting that she's experienced both sides of things. Yeah, it's. I think it becomes pretty apparent to a lot of people if you spend too much time on the Internet that it's a very toxic place. And that's true of the atheist scene. That's true of 
so many mm-hmm. different realms and we are having, I think, a greater awareness as a society that all of these platforms that seemed like such great things five, ten years ago are now having really ugly sides and putting us against each other in ways that aren't are detrimental. Right. I mean, we could agree on something like not liking religion, but be worlds apart on how we want to approach that topic, right? Mm-hmm. And the, you know, the requirements of Twitter to put it in a very short you know, 140 or 280 characters or having these discussions online without seeing people's reactions or interacting in person, I think, or even hearing their voice. I think podcasts have helped do a lot of work in bringing out nuance because we can have a discussion and we mm-hmm. can hear through people's thoughts and thought processes. Yeah, yeah. Having a long form discussion, having no limitations on time, like no set schedule where you're putting out a one hour episode each time or a 45 minute episode. Not having those limitations means that you can explore topics to a much greater extent. And uh, it's good we have that now. But Twitter, yeah, certainly isn't helping things. Also, I think Twitter rewards like extremely reactionary takes right mm-hmm. so like far right stuff gets a lot of retweets for the dumbest shit it's <laughs> nothing like extremely interesting or uh you know thought-provoking it's just something like you know fuck the libs or whatever <laughs> yeah like, well even to bring it back to or islam back, is this, bad yeah i mean to bring it back to the topic the Debate in Quebec is being pushed in such a weird way of, we can't go through the courts on this, we need to just push it through. And Quebec has been talking for a long time about these issues, and the previous two governments, both the Liberal and the Parti Québécois, both tried in different ways, and I think one successfully, to bring in some kind of religious symbols ban, maybe not as expansive as this, or an even more expansive one, I think the Parti Québécois had proposed. That well, there was that uh, in the, in the last election, there was that niqab thing that uh, I found myself federally, the, yeah, yeah. I found myself on the opposite side of a lot of people on the left on that one because it was about a courtroom and it was about a specific woman who refused to show her face for a citizenship oath just for a few minutes and. Um, I just found that, you know, people who I agree with on everything otherwise were glorifying this woman. And she was Pakistani, and she said she left Pakistan because women and men were, like, intermingling too much or some some stupid, horrible views like that. I don't remember the details. And then she had been turned into this hero on the left. Mm. And... It's incredibly frustrating to me, you know, the to worst, be sandwiched. The worst part in, of our in, whole uh, way our way of defending rights is structured is you need someone to have their rights infringed before we can have a debate over it. And that means there's always a character at the center. Mm-hmm. But often those characters are not the best representatives of the ideological debate being had. Mm-hmm. And some are worse than others. Like, I mean, I, I think uh, this person really shouldn't have been turned into a hero Mm. but um there we were that debate for me was interesting because it was about the citizenship oath that ceremony yeah and 
as an atheist who's not huge on ritual, I was like, why do we even have to do this thing? Yeah, but that's a separate debate, right? Of course. We already do this thing. Yeah. And here's someone saying that they want to cover their face in it. And it's like, I'd be like, well, can I wear my Satan mask to the citizenship oath? No, I cannot. I wonder right. if you could, though. I don't think try. so. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. too bad. Like, I've already done mine years ago. That's but. where the past, That's where the Pastafarians come in. Yeah, Although, I know. They're colanders, right? Yeah. Canadian courts have been a bit more skeptical of that as a sincerely held belief than the belief that you need to cover yourself in this way or that way. Yeah, I mean, okay. I think everyone can recognize that it's a bit of trolling, right? Mm -hmm. But you can't really get in someone's head and prove that it's not a sincerely held belief. And I think that is the point behind things like that and the spaghetti monster stuff is that to, to show the absurdity mm -hmm. of clinging to these things. And that's a separate debate. Yeah, of course, you know, we shouldn't let those debates mix in with how people are targeting visibly m Muslim or visibly Sikh people. So, mm -hmm. you know, not to undermine them or not to dehumanize them. There's multiple issues here, and that's why we need this nuance, right? There's the real racism, anti-Muslim bigotry, Islamophobia, whatever you want to call it, the actual, like, hate crimes that are being committed. Those are on the rise. That data is there. Yeah. Then there's these deeper fundamental conflicts over rights and freedoms and, you know, does your freedom of religion extend without limit? And with the BC Human Association, we've even been clear to say, no, there are mm -hmm. certain places where that's limited. You can't have a university that gets public accreditation trample on the rights of LGBTQ people mm -hmm. because your university is not a person with feelings and beliefs. It's a bunch of bricks and a piece of paper. And so these things get complicated. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? With religion, you can sort of punch up and punch down simultaneously, mm. right? You can punch up at the old established institution of organized religion. Mm -hmm. And then you can punch down at religious minorities and so it gets complicated. And with bands like these that end up affecting mostly minorities and immigrants, it's harder still. But then you mention things like the history of Quebec being intertwined with religion and religion controlling a lot of things and people having this like visceral reaction to that memory of how it used to be, you know, and no, we shall not allow that again, right? It's that kind of thing that's mm -hmm. happening. Yeah, and Quebec as a culture has been the minority in Canada. They've been the victim of English subjugation, of the Protestant majority pushing down on them. And that tension created the, I mean, and we're totally ignoring all the subjugation of the indigenous people here, but that tension between the English Protestants and the French Catholics is what made our sort of unique multicultural state from the start, is that we had to learn to live in harmony, at least between those two majority populations. Mm -hmm. And so Quebec's always had, it's not a chip on its shoulder because it's justified, I think, in that there is a lot of derision on the Quebecois in Canada and on French Canadians and a lot of persecution. But at the same time, that doesn't justify kicking people who are even lower on the 
socioeconomic or whatever privileged ladder. Right, right, exactly. And I mean, there's a legitimate concern about people in authority having a religious bias, but simply wearing a necklace or a turban doesn't mean that you're going to have a bias against the person that you're arresting, right? Mm-hmm. Or the person that you're teaching. I would want my teacher to have the freedom to express who they are, right? Like, it's, mm-hmm. it seems absurd that the government would want to control to the point of allowing police to be called on them. Uh, the fact that they, whether they wear like a crucifix necklace or a turban or uh, a headscarf. Now, of course, there are situations like niqabs, right? I, I don't think it's practical for a teacher to have her face covered. I'm sorry. It's a whole different discussion then. Or the kirpan, right? The the dagger. I don't mm-hmm. know about that being in schools. So, that one's tricky. I think I'd need to talk to a few more Sikh people or... Um, I know a few people in the Indian rationalist community, but I think there are ways that it can be made essentially non-lethal, like dulled, wrapped mm-hmm. in a way that it's not removable. Mm-hmm. And but even that, symbolically, kind of, that kind of accommodation. Even symbolically, though, like we tell kids in schools not to have like guns and daggers and stuff like that. So it seems it seems strange to me mm. to have a dagger in school, even like a symbol of a dagger. Mm. Yeah, it gets, yeah. It's, it's complicated. One of the things that a lot of people will argue is this idea that by wearing a religious symbol, the teacher, the RCMP officer, is therefore trying to convert other people to their religion. And it's, what? I feel like it's born out of a real fear of, or, you know, in some cases probably justified because of traumatic experiences growing up or whatever church someone may have escaped from. But it misunderstands why I think a lot of people to themselves wear religion. Even the most devout conservative Muslims will tell you that their hijab is often just about them and their own perceived need for modesty. Or their kids, yeah. Yeah, and not so much about, I'm going to wear this so that you feel like you also have to wear this. Well, especially not here in the West. Yeah. In Pakistan, yeah. Yeah, yeah, once it becomes a cultural milieu. Yeah. But it's this fear of religion that runs so deep among some self-described secularists that leads this, we can't even see religion in the public sphere or else, therefore, the state is biased, obviously. And you can't just hide it, right? If people are devoutly religious, they are going to let that infect their work, as it were, regardless of what's on their head. This, This fear of it, is disturbing to me because I thought we overcame that, like us as atheists or humanists or whatever, when we left religion. Um, and I don't, I don't like to be in a position where atheists or secularists are reminding me of religious fundamentalists, mm. you know, where they want to control how others express themselves. I just think it's, if it's not interfering with their ability to do the job, then bottom line, I think it should be fine. If it is interfering with their ability to do the job, or it is interfering with security or whatever, and that can be proved, then that is understandable. And that's why when it comes to the face veil, the niqab, I, I, have, I think it's a different conversation. Well, and that's what Canada's entire 
history of what's called religious accommodation kind of comes down to is generally allow people to do the things, but if that line needs to be drawn, we debate it and come to a compromise. Now, that gets frustrating for a lot of people because people disagree about where that line should be. Maybe it should be a bit more restrictive. Maybe it should be a bit less. And each situation is going to be different. But context matters. I think we get hung up a lot on tradition and that this is how things are done and therefore it must be continue to be done this way. And like I said earlier, as an atheist, I really can't buy into that argument. Yeah, and the tradition argument. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why that crucifix is funny to me as well. The juxtaposition of that being in the National Assembly and being justified by historians while simultaneously saying that it's not contradictory to also want to sit a religious symbol ban. But we'll keep our cross. Well, it's why you saw so many Quebec towns still doing, like, the Lord's Prayer to open their municipal council. And this is what led, just over a decade ago, to one atheist in the local, I think it was Saguenay community, to sue his city. And it had to go all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada before they finally said, no, you can't pray at the start of a meeting. That violates our secular country. Yeah, see, that absolutely is not okay by me. You know, what are you doing bringing your prayer into a place of government like that? Well, and you even had the Quebec Court of Appeal agreeing with the city saying, oh, this is just a tradition. They, it's part of the <laughs> culture or something. And the Supreme Court of Canada had to step in and go, no, that's dumb. Don't, <laughs> that makes no sense. If everyone's going to have religious freedom in this country and re- freedom of thought and belief, which are also in the charter, I have yeah. it above my desk. So I just like keep looking up at it every couple seconds. Oh, do you? <laughs> you? You can order a free copy of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms as a poster from the government, and I encourage everyone to do that because anything you can get for free, you always should. <laughs> Especially something as exciting as the Charter of Rights and Freedoms from the Canadian government. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I bet that freedom, poster was a chick magnet, right, Ian? Like, they're like, oh, my God, you're such a I got a it rockster. after I got married. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but my wife supported my decision to get it mounted. Oh, wow, you're such a nerd. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> For those freedoms to mean anything, though, you can't have the state pushing a specific worldview down on you. And because of the tension of this translation between secularism and laicite, the Supreme Catholic Court case. Yeah, yeah. The Supreme Court didn't even use the word secularism or say we're a secular country. They said can- Canadian governments have a duty of religious neutrality, mm-hmm. meaning they shouldn't take positions in favor or against religion. Mm-hmm. And I think we always forget about that other part, that the state shouldn't oppose religion, because that gets into the same territory as Iran, as we were talking about earlier. Yeah, I mean, as long as it's kept... So this is this is one thing I wanted to mention, is that uh, I saw this uh, YouTube video by uh, a new YouTuber called SJW. Shout out to you. Check out his YouTube channel. He, um, he did this video where he talked about secularism and religion coexisting, but the way he framed it was really interesting. It was secularism being in a BDSM relationship with religion. And as long as religion was the submissive one and not the dom, things would be fine. And I happen to agree. 
You know, I I, I really like that framing. So mm. I'm happy to have religion be in a submissive relationship with secularism. But if it tries to get on top, then we have a problem. Well, and the same goes for atheism and anti-theism. Those mm-hmm. ideas can exist, and I think we both think they're good. Yeah. But you can't leverage the power of the state and the cops and people with guns to force that on others. My mind just keeps going back to the Star Wars quote, the tighter you close your grasp, the more systems will slip through your fingers. Hmm. I know nothing about Star Wars, but yeah. I just want to like keep throwing the nerd stuff out here now. (laughs) It's just emphasizing like as the Empire builds the Death Star and tries to threaten the galaxy, more people are going to rebel and more people are going to you know, throw off their hijabs or put them on in Western countries mm. and just feel they need to cling to whatever's being repressed. Yeah. So final thoughts. Um, it's a complicated debate. It's not just about xenophobia and it's not just about wanting neutrality on religion. There's so many factors at play here. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how this all works out and whether the crucifix gets taken down from the National Assembly building. And boy, this has been the hardest podcast to record with an awake, crying baby. So yeah, any final thoughts from you, Ian? Yeah, I think it's just, it's good to be able to hear from all these different perspectives and listen to Muslim voices, ex-Muslim voices, the people impacted by this, the people who were forced to veil like yourself and Shabrak. Yeah, and not and the just, Breitbart ex-Muslim voices, yeah. unfortunately, who have just, in my opinion, transferred their extremism outside of religion. Mm. And hopefully this debate matters and things can move forward, but I don't know. It looks like Francois Legault's eager to push this through despite the objection from so many different quarters. Yeah, let's see how it goes. Thank you so much for uh, joining me to talk about it. It was so great to be on, finally. Yeah. Well, you take care, and I'll see you out in Twitter land. Thank you for um, dealing with uh, my unexpected little three-month-old co-host. No problem. And if people want to hear my political opinions nonstop, I run two podcasts, Politicoast, which is on BC and Canadian politics, and Canby Report, which is on Metro Vancouver politics, which is probably not interesting to most people listening to this, but I'll plug it anyway. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks, Ian. Thanks for listening to another episode of Polite Conversations. You can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it, making some noise about it, or contributing via Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian mangoes. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at NiceMangoes. If you want to make a one-time donation instead of a monthly Patreon one, you can do so via PayPal, nicemangoes.blog at gmail.com. Remember, no Ian Mangoes. If you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest, you can email me there too. (laughs) 